Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It's time to turn your garden into a smart garden on News Radio 830 WCCO. Smart Gardens, an hour of expert advice and answers to all of your lawn and gardening questions. You can call 989-9226 or text us at 81807. Now, here's Denny Law with this week's Smart Garden. Yes, indeed. And uh, I'm being joined by our friend Julie Weisenhorn from the University of Minnesota. Good morning, Julie. Hey, Denny. How you doing? I'm doing quite well. Uh, it is nice and sunny here. I'm seeing a lot of cars. Don't see too many, too much of uh, any lawn or garden material here because the place is covered <laughs> with cars. I mean, covered with cars. But are you sitting in any of them? No, not yet. And I, yeah, I left my credit card at home. So I got it. Yeah, it's just as well. No, it's, it's great to be out Good here. Deal. Now, as usual, uh, we're going to be talking lawns and gardens and, and taking your phone calls and text uh, messages for uh, Julie and uh, this this rest of this hour, as usual. So let me let me do that. Let me give you the phone number. By the way, it is the same as the text number. So 651-989-9226 is the call-in number if you have a lawn or garden question. And you know we tend to get busy when Julie's on here answering your questions. So don't wait to uh, send a Julie a call, a text or a call. Yeah, and again, yeah. Denny, we also have John Trappy here, oh, too, John's for back. the oh, lawn good. questions, too. So, oh, so yeah. We, We've I didn't want to interrupt John. you there. No, no, that's good. I'm glad you did. I was going to ask you, but I thought, <laughs> no, he's not here. Yes, he is there. John Tappy yes. is our turf guru. Uh, and if, so if you have specific lawn questions, uh, today's a good day for that, too, obviously, because John is in studio with uh, Julie. So call in uh, your question or send a text here on our Smart Garden Show. Um, what is there anything? I have asked John this last time he was in. Is there is there something that we could be doing uh, to our lawns now. I mean, I I, I haven't had the because uh, they look so good. I haven't needed any <laughs> any lawn or <laughs> I better knock on wood here uh, because it does look really good. We had some good rain the other day. Uh, what about weed and feed? Is that is it too late to do that? Do we do that anymore this season? Yeah, I, for the weed and feed products, I would I'd avoid applying them anymore uh, yet this fall. And quite frankly, I would I would probably try to avoid applying them in general unless you're trying to do like a a lawn conversion over time where your lawn is mostly weeds and you're trying to recover that back to just uh, just to grass. But um, in general, I would I would uh, almost avoid most uh, weed control right now because especially with this upcoming week, we're starting to get into higher temperatures. Your lawn is going to start stressing a little bit and you don't want to uh, stress it too much by any uh, type of uh, weed control products that might harm that. Yeah, in fact, I'm looking at the forecast, at least right now, by Friday, we could get up to 88 
Wow. Or, or near it. So, yeah. Summer's here. What, uh, Julie, what are you doing in your garden now, personally? Well, in my garden, I'm mostly, I'm weeding, actually, hand ah. weeding. So I just get down on my hands and knees and pick away at those uh, clover and, uh, and some of the other uh, pesky weeds that are in there. And uh, so I'm doing that. I'm also enjoying it, which, you know, we tend to yeah. kind of forget to do that sometimes. We just I'm work. I'm admiring my work. <laughs> yeah, that's and good. And I've planted a few new plants. Um, Gail Hudson, our communication specialist, and I just recorded a video. It isn't out yet. She's still doing the editing on uh, our uh, how to select plants for a particular location. And I used the, my front entry garden for the case study. Ah. So that will be coming out on our Yard and Garden News. So I just wanted to mention that. And, and folks can go to Yard and Garden News uh, on our extension.umn.edu website. And also, we have a survey that mm. uh, we are surveying specifically for WCCO listeners to Smart Garden. We want to find out. You've been listening to us for eight years now. And oh, you're kidding. we want to find out <laughs> how the information has been helpful and what kinds of things you're using that you've learned on WCCO. And uh, also, we'd also like to know uh, uh, kind of, you know, is there something else that you need to know that we can help you with? So... You, if you ent- if you fill out the the survey, you also uh, can be entered to win one of Mary Meyer's books, uh, mm. the Ten Plants That Changed Minnesota. So we have a little little prize there. Um, so you can uh, your name can be entered in to win one of those copies. How do we? How do our listeners get uh, get involved in that survey? The link is z the letter z dot umn dot edu slash smart garden. And I will be putting that up on our Yard and Garden News blog uh, this week. So you can go to that as well. Good deal. Yeah, and we'll mention that we always do uh, throughout the hour the website, which is a great resource. Tell you what, guys, uh, let's, uh, let's get to the phones. I think Mary in Richfield is the first caller up here. Mary, uh, we are listening. What is your question? Well, I understand. I have a beautiful ash tree in my backyard. Yes. And I understand you're not supposed to trim them except in the winter. Two questions. There's a lot of dead branches up there now. If I wait till winter, how are you going to know which ones are dead? Because all the leaves are off. And number two, some of the branches are so low that they hit me when I mow and they rub against my neighbor's fence. Can I trim those? Actually, you can trim your ash trees now. Uh, they are not uh, particular like, I think you're probably thinking of oak trees in particular. Oaks right now are at a high risk for oak wilt, so we don't recommend pruning oaks until after the middle of summer. But ash trees you can prune, and uh, they, and and yeah, definitely prune those lower branches off. Uh, if you ever have any issues with uh, when to prune a tree at all, you can always uh, email Ask a Master Gardener as well, and that link is also on our extension site. All right, very good. Thank you, Mary. Uh, let's see who's been waiting. Barb is calling in, I believe, from Minneapolis. Barb, you're on CCO. Good morning. Hi, I have a lawn question. In my lawn, I have a couple of um, ant communities that are quite large. They're probably the size of a good-sized dinner plate or larger. I have tried those ant killer granules on them. And they work, it works for like a couple of weeks, but then the ants just move to a different neighborhood. They just move a short distance away, <laughs> and there they are again. So, so smart. I, is there anything 
more effective than the ant granules? I mean, I'm getting to the point of, you know, do I need to use dynamite on them? Or <laughs> how, how do I get rid of them? <laughs> uh, there... Typically, what professionals are using is are those baits, uh, the the granules themselves. What what may be the case is that you're not actually killing off the the. It's not actually enough to to get down in and kill the the queen ant for the for the colony. So you might actually, um, they they might actually just be moving or or uh, just moving colonies and moving shops. So. Uh, when you're when you're scouting the area, just really make sure that you're trying to control all of the colonies around that area, if indeed they are a problem, uh, or they continue to be a problem for you. All right. If you have a question, Lana Garden question for Julie or John, call it in or text it in. We've got some texters uh, coming in as well. By the way, the numbers are the same now. I want to keep that in mind. Uh, if you uh, want to call in your Lana Garden question, 651 651- Nine eight nine nine two two six. Text. Meanwhile, same number six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Texter wants to know, guys. Slugs are destroying my hostas. Oh Help. dear. Yeah. So slug. There's there's different um, pesticides for slugs, but what I find really works well in my own garden is to uh, actually cut off some of the lower leaves of the uh, hosta plant. And so that you get some light underneath that plant. They're not laying flat out on the, on the, uh, on the soil surface. Uh, so that's the first thing. That gets light under there. It also makes it a little less hospitable. The, the slugs can't just crawl up onto the leaves. The other thing, too, is that your garden may be really damp. And, of course, slugs love that. Uh, you can put mulch around the base of those hostas as well. That makes it kind of, kind of a rough uh, area for slugs to climb across. Um, but I think open. I think actually making the site less hospitable by letting it dry out a little bit more. Maybe if you have an irrigation system, or or if you're watering a lot, then um, then a, kind of cut back on that. And then I think also raising up those, uh, cutting those lower leaves off of the hostas to kind of bring it up a little bit and get some light and air under there will help to uh, minimize that damage as well. All right. Very good. Uh, six um, six five one nine eight nine nine two two six. Keep in mind. Both the Julie and John are in studio, so you get a lot of help as usual, but especially today if, uh, because John is there if you have any particular lawn question. Now, I know I asked you, John, about uh, the weed and feed, but somebody sent a text in, says they still have many weeds. Can I still use weed and feed? How would you remedy their situation? Well, uh, like I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be applying weed and feed, as, uh, most especially this time of year. Uh, Generally speaking, if you still have a lot of weeds, you can you can spot treat for them and uh, identify the weed species, and then uh, try to find a herbicide. There's there's several different selective broadleaf herbicides that would control just those uh, problematic weeds, and you can spot treat those now. Um, I would just really pay attention to the herbicide label, follow the instructions, and make sure that uh, that if and when you are applying it, then uh, that you're doing it according to the conditions present at your site, including weather. So the other thing, too, is, is uh, we're really starting to get into that summer stress, so you may actually end up having to wait uh, until the fall where some of these broadleaf weeds or uh, summer annual grassy weeds are becoming much easier to control or not needed to control in the fall and really just focus on proper cultural management practices uh, throughout the rest of the summer into the fall and have a nice, healthy lawn uh, and really focus on that when the uh, when autumn comes. 
All right, very good. I know we have to take a break. I was just thinking, Julie and John, uh, it won't be long until we're actually all out here yeah, at the fair. Yeah, the state fair. And just a matter of weeks we away. We were just talking about that before we got on the air. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be right here before you know it. Absolutely. All right, hang on, guys. We're going to take a, a bit of a break here. If you have any kind of a lawn or garden question, call it in or text it in this Saturday morning. Uh, on this end, Denny Long here, we're uh, broadcasting our show from the Minnesota State Fairgrounds, our CCO Broadcast Center, during the Back to the 50s weekend here at the Minnesota State Fair. We'll be right back. And good morning. Welcome back to our Lawn and Garden Show. We call it Smart Garden around every uh, Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour here on CCO. Denny Long here at the uh, Broadcast Center at the Minnesota State Fair uh, during the Back to the 50s weekend, the 46th annual uh, Julie and John are in studio, meanwhile. Yeah, right. And uh, they're ensconced there. I bet you even get some <laughs> coffee. I'm looking for coffee. There's no place to have coffee. Anyway, we'll get through it, I'm sure. Uh, we have callers. We have texters. So we're going to be another, uh, as usual, busy uh, busy hour here. Let's go back to the phones, guys. Kathy, I think, is calling from New Brighton with a question. Go ahead, Kathy. Yes, I've got a question on tomatoes. I've heard... Sure both ways to remove the suckers on the plants Mm -hmm. that come up in the V's. And I'm wondering if that's a good idea or if we should just let them go. That is a, uh, as I understand it from some of our uh, really esteemed tomato growers and the master gardeners, it's kind of a personal preference. Uh, Some people really do a good job at at, uh, picking up the suckers and and they claim that that they actually do, you know, take up a lot of the energy that you want to go to the fruit. So it's kind. I think it's kind of up to you. Uh, I've seen some people who have removed a lot of the suckers, and you're at, they've actually removed too much. So I think if you're going to do that, I would take a nice, sharp little pruner. Um, sometimes people will pinch them off, but I think that might cause a little too much damage. So take a nice, sharp pruner and just snip off those lower little suckers along the along the uh, bottom part of the stem as you set up to the top of the kind of the V where the bran- where it starts to branch out. I think it's perfectly fine to do that. Okay, thank you. You bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, texter wants to know, for slow-growing uh, perennials such as coral bells, would it be advantageous to dig up, apply a root stimulator, and then replant? No, think I, th- I think actually the more you disturb a plant, uh, the, the more stressed it becomes. Plants, when we first plant uh, a perennial, they're oftentimes in a transplant stress. And so we try to minimize that by watering, by, uh, you know, mulching around the base of it to keep those roots cool and damp. But I think the more you monkey with the root system, the, the, um, the more you're going to stress the plant. I would leave it alone. I would make sure you have enough, that it has enough water. And, and they like to be a little bit dry. Um, so you can kind of uh, just keep that soil moist around it. Put a little bit of leaf mulch around the base, perhaps. And that might help to hold in that and keep those roots a little protected. All right. Let us go back to the phones. Debbie, I believe, is calling from Brooklyn Park. Debbie, you're on CCO. Good morning. Morning. Thank you for taking my call. I had called um, in the winter about an amaryllis that I had gotten for Christmas. All right. And, you know, I let it grow, and then the leaves just kind of fell over, so I cut it back. And as I understood it, You know, I was just supposed to water it very sparingly and then, like, late summer, put it in a dark place for several weeks. And Well, anyway, it's growing leaves. Good, good. (laughs) So I guess now I need to know 
what I should do with it. So do you have a do you have a deck or a back patio or something? Yes. Okay. That's a great place for that amaryllis to be this summer. And the reason is, is as it's growing leaves, it's going to photosynthesize using those leaves. And that's going to put energy back into the bulb for blooming. And you don't actually have to uh, put that plant into a dark location. You can do that if you want to try to time the bloom in the winter. Like if you want it to bloom right at Christmas or New Year's or something like that. But you can just grow it as a house plant. You can just bring it back in the house before frost and keep watering it and... Hopefully all that energy that it accumulated over the sun, your decker patio, will force, a, uh, force it to bud at that point. Okay. Should I fertilize it? Uh, very lightly. They're, uh, they're not very big feeders, I don't think. But, uh, yeah, you could do like a real diluted, maybe a half-strength uh, fertilizer once a month or every, you know, every couple of weeks or something like that. They're not real fussy that way. And you don't have to transplant it out of the pot. You can leave it. They actually kind of like to be tight in the pot. Okay, I tell you what, we need to take a break. We uh, Just as a reminder, we have another half hour of the show to go. Our lawn a, a garden a show called Smart Garden here on CCO. Call in your question or send in a text here this Saturday morning. I tell you what, let's do this, guys. As I said, we, we'll take a quick break here and be back with more of the show. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden show here on CCO. Danny Long at the Minnesota State Fair booth. Actually, it's a broadcast center, and it's a little bit bigger than a booth, wouldn't you say, Julie and John? It's yeah, it's a little you, larger than a. Booth. Is it the? It's the same one that we're at. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm out here on the veranda right oh, now. Oh man, You're missing right, you guys. Right across sure. from French Meadow Bakery. Yes, which is closed <laughs> right now, but that's that's <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, uh, we'll uh, accept your phone calls and text messages as usual. Our lawn and garden questions. Uh, Julie Weisenhorn and John Trappy from the U of M. Lawn and garden questions. The rest of the way. Uh, I'll tell you what, let's go back to the phones. I think Dennis has been waiting there forever in Brooklyn Park. Dennis, what's your question, please? Uh, I have both a comment and a question. Great. Now, I've, I occasionally listen to your program, but don't listen to you all the time, so I don't think this issue has ever been covered. Now, there was a fellow that called in, and he had trouble with his hostas. The uh, slugs were eating up yes. the leaves. There's a very simple solution to that, and I'm surprised no one's ever mentioned it. It's called diatomaceous earth. Oh, yes, yep. That stuff works phenomenal, oh, and it's good. cheap. You can buy a two-pound box of it for, I don't know, less than five bucks. It'll last you for years. And what you do is you put a little bit in your hand, and then you put your hand right down to the base of your house and shake your hand, get it all over the slugs, because that's where they, they stay during the day, and they come up on the leaves and eat you the leaves at night. Guaranteed it'll get rid of the slugs, and it's cheap. There you go. All right. That's a good my, one. I had a question regarding a tree. I have a neighbor who has what he calls a, uh, a autumn blaze. Yes. Now, I know autumn blaze is a, it's not a true hybrid. It's actually a graft of a red maple onto a uh, silver maple uh, rootstock. Okay. Now, it, it gets seeds, and I didn't think those trees ever got seeds. But I look online, and the best I can determine is, they do, in fact, get seeds. Now, he, he claimed that he had a, a seed off that tree, and he planted it, and he's got this tree growing. Now, my question is this. If you've got seeds coming off that autumn blaze, what kind of a tree is it? Well, that's a really good question. It, and that is one of the issues with uh, uh, grafted or hybrid plants is that the seeds are never going to be true to the parent. To the, you're never, you, for example, 
I always like to use the example of Honeycrisp. Our apples are grafted. They're grafted to uh, rootstocks that contribute cold hardiness or size or other features. And then the top of the tree that's grafted to that rootstock is called a scion. And that that brings another uh, whole array of characteristics such as crispiness or sugar content to the plant. So if you plant a Honeycrisp seed, you know, you eat the apple, you take the seed, you plant it, you're not going to get a Honeycrisp plant. And it's the same with any other plant that's grafted or hybridized. Is you're not you're going to get the qualities, some of the qualities, but they're going to be qualities of one of the parent trees. It's not going to come true to true to seed or true to plant, especially. All right, very yeah. good. Yeah. Th- thanks for the and, call. And diatomaceous earth has been one of the uh, suggestions for slugs. So Dennis is uh, right on the money there. And that that stuff is kind of like having those snails walk on kind of yeah. Cl- it's glass actually or like some kind of a uh, sharp sharp uh, uh, crustaceous kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. And I would just recommend wearing a glove if you are going to oh, be picking that up. Be sure you put gloves on. Good idea. Texter says this, I have a well-established daffodil section in one of my gardens that had many plants this spring, but not one flower. This has never happened to this approximately 10-year-old bed of daffodils. What do you think? Well, plants have a life cycle, and it could be that those bulbs are getting very old. Uh, It could be also that the the bulbs are... um, just uh, degrading little by little. Uh, it could be that the that the light has changed around those daffodils. They usually bloom before our trees open up. But if there's say a an evergreen tree nearby that's starting to shade those a lot, uh, might need some fertilizer. It could also mean uh, that they're just not producing enough uh, food. And how you handle those leaves after the bloom also can uh, bear on how uh, productive those blooms are as well. Hmm. Okay. Back to the phones we go. Uh, Ed, I believe, is calling from Bloomington. Ed, you're on CCO. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question for John about grass sod. When you go to purchase this, can you actually pick the type of grass you want, or are they all just a a, a run-of-the-mill rye grass? So uh, that's a good question. Uh, In... Uh, it, you can actually purchase sod directly from Sod Farms. Um, we have, uh, at the UMN Turf Extension, we have a list of all the sod farms in the state that have uh, certified sod. Um, so you can, uh, you can find that page on our website. Um, but, uh, but as far as the sod goes, most of the sod sold in Minnesota is Kentucky bluegrass sod, predominantly Kentucky bluegrass. But there, is, uh, there are some other species available uh, and cultivars available. Uh, you can check with the, the actual supplier of the sod that you're purchasing from which species and cultivars or varieties they are. But, uh, but generally speaking, you can also buy directly from the sod farm itself. It's just a matter of transporting or paying for that. So, uh, but there are certainly options available throughout the state. All right, 651-989-9226. That's not only the phone number, but our text number as well for your lawn and garden question for Julie and or John. Uh, let's go to the phones. Roger, I think, has been waiting there in Owatonna to ask you uh, a question. Go ahead, Roger. Thank you. Okay, yes, uh, thank you. Uh, say, I have a question regarding some Sienna Glen maples. I've got three or four of these. They've got a DBH of about uh, four and three quarters. It's a little different with each tree, but uh, about four and three quarters inches. Okay, the question concerns this. Uh, they've got some roots that are not girdling the stem, 
but they're kind of running parallel to the circumference of the tree. Okay. And uh, in another, they're three or so, four, three inches away from the stem right now. In another few years, that stem is going to grow into those roots. Sure. Okay. So my question is, I've had people say, oh, you have to prune those. Mm-hmm. And the, here's the problem. Uh, the DBH is about, like I said, four and three quarters, maybe five and some. The roots themselves... This big root is two to two and a half inches in diameter, almost. Uh, my, so my question is, do I go ahead and do this? I did hear somebody say, if the root is more than 25% of the area of the trunk, then you can't do it. And I don't know what, what, you're, what you would say about that. But I'm, they're driving me crazy because I want to get it done before it gets too late in the sure. year. And I don't know if I should be pruning those or not. So, so when you talk about DBH, are you talking about the, the caliper of the tree, the, the, the diameter or the, how big around the trunk is? I'm talking about the diameter at breast height. Okay, yeah. breast height. Okay. Uh, and, and so these roots, if I understand correctly, they're a few inches away from the trunk at the base. Right, they're not going to girdle it, they're, but they're, they're going to run along the circumference okay. for a while, and then they start to move away. Okay, so, uh, and is this on all of the trees? Well, I've got 28 of them, and Holy it's on five cow. or six. Wow, it's okay, on, five or six of them, okay. Um, well, the recommendation is when there is a route that is running uh, parallel like that, and that has a thread of girdling, is that you do prune them off. Um, I would actually, because you have so many trees and because, uh, you know, this is, our, I mean, five or six mature trees, that's a, that's a lot. And now you have, and you have 28 of these other trees too. So, um, what I would recommend, and this is a good recommendation for anybody with mature tree questions is an arborist, is to bring an arborist in and, uh, and have them take a look at that and assess that. And then they can safely prune those off at the right location so that they, I, I, cause I agree with you. I would be concerned about that too, because as that tree grows, those roots, uh, it's going to grow into those roots. And, uh, and I think that they should be pruned off, but that would be a good idea to have an arborist come in and take a look. And then they can assess all of the trees. Uh, it sounds to me like you're you're uh, right on top of those, uh, you know, really paying attention. But I, a certified arborist is great, and you can go to the International Society of Arboriculture website, ISA, and enter your zip code in and come up with a list of certified arborists that are in your area. And we've said it in the past, Julie and John, that there, we have many good certified arborists around. We do, around yeah. Here. We have an excellent them. tree community yeah, here in Minnesota. Sure. And you can find information on how to hire a certified arborist also on our website, which is uh, extension.umn.edu, and go to the Trees and Shrubs webpage on the Garden webpage, and, and you'll be able to find a publication on that. And uh, while you're talking about the website, Julie, let's talk again. The folks may have joined us late about that survey. Yeah. So tell us about yeah. that. So we are, going, we are in our eighth year of this show, which is amazing because it's <laughs> yes. so much fun. It seems like we just started. And uh, we want to find out what you as listeners of Smart Garden on WCCO have, uh, you know, what have you gleaned from us on the air? Or what are some of the things that, that you are starting to do in your yard or garden that, uh, that you heard about on CCO uh, Smart Garden. So we have a survey. The link is the letter Z, as in zebra, dot umn dot edu slash smart garden, all one word. 
And uh, and we'd like you to fill that out. And if you complete the survey, your name will be entered to win one of Mary Meyer's books, The Ten Plants That Changed Minnesota, which is an excellent book. You'll be surprised at what plants are in there. I'm not going to tell you what they are. No, no, no. Don't give it away. No. <laughs> They're that not is, what you think they are. That is a great book, too, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. I tell you what, let's uh, let's take a quick break here, inviting our listeners to send in your lawn and garden questions by text or by phone. Again, it's the same number, 651-989-9226. And again, same number, call in or text in. It's the Smart Garden Show here on News Talk 830-WCCO. And good morning. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on CCO. Denny Long broadcasting from our CCO Broadcast Center here at the Back to the 50s weekend at the Minnesota State Fair. Julie and John, meanwhile, back at our studios here we in are. downtown Minneapolis as you are answering tons of calls. <laughs> and as usual, uh, I tell you what, let's do this. Let's let's go back to the phones. I know we can pick up on some text messages right. as, as well. But I think Mary's calling from New Prague with a question. Go ahead, Mary. Yeah, good morning. Uh, morning. I was wondering about, is it too late to hydro seed around a new home, and what is the cutoff for grass seed? Um, We had a relatively cool spring, so... Yeah, that's a a good question. So hydro seeding is uh, effectively adding, like, a mulch uh, substrate and seed, and you're effectively trying to uh, establish the area by seed, and... It's not too late to do that, but you should just know that as you're watering in that area, you're probably also going to be watering the summer annual grassy weeds or any other broadleafs that are there, and, you, and weed control may be, might be an issue uh, as you're establishing the lawn this time of year. Uh, it's certainly recommended to, have, to try to get it established as soon as possible, especially if it's bare soil and it's a new site, uh, because we want to uh, protect that soil uh, in place. So just know that... You can hydro seed and you can, uh, you can have a, a well-established lawn, uh, but you might also be fighting weeds as you're doing so. Okay. Thank you very much. Uh, let's grab some text messages. Here's one. I have three peony plants that are approximately 65 to 70 years old. Whoa. I dug them up from my grandparents' home years and years ago. This summer and never before, a single stem of a clematis came up right <laughs> in the middle of one of them. My grandmother had beautiful clematis next to the peonies, is it possible after all these years that the clematis would grow? I've not grown clematis before. Well, it sounds like it's already growing. Yeah. Coming up. I think uh, what I would do is hopefully um, you can, where you planted the peonies, it, it might be possible to put some kind of a trellising behind the peony and train that clematis to grow. I, I don't think I would try to separate them because these are obviously really historical, precious plants. If you start uh, trying to separate them, you could um, could run into some issues with that. But but at least for this year, you know, I would definitely uh, create some kind of a trellis behind that and just create a really nice a display of peonies with this beautiful historical clematis behind it. Uh, Julie, I uh, was wondering if this this next text if, if it had the same issue as the boxwood that we've talked about in the past. Right. The problem. Uh, they have a roll, Texas is about 20 burning bush plants that have hardly any leaves on it uh, this year. Uh, what happened? We have had a number of plants that have been tried and true, tough plants through uh, winters, but this winter was particularly hard on plants. And it could be that those plants are now dead. And if they haven't leafed out by now, I would say it's time to replace them. Mm. Uh, 
the 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 best way to look at those plants is is to scratch open uh, or take a sharp knife and just cut open one of the branches and see if you see any kind of green tissue at all. If they if you don't, uh, then I would say the plants are probably dead, and you don't see any growth from the bottom of the plant. Uh, that's another issue too. You can also look at those plants. Euonymus, which is what a burning bush, uh, that's the genus, are also uh, really attractive to rabbits. And so if you see any kind of girdling where an animal has eaten away the bark at the base of those plants or near the, in this case, um, this year we've added even at the top of the plants, depending on how tall they are, um, then I would say that they've maybe been girdled and you're going to have to replace them. Okay. All right, John, here we go, the, the award winner for the Creeping Charlie question. <laughs> the, be- there it is. The, the best way to treat... <laughs> Best way to treat uh, Creeping Charlie, Texter says they have two to- uh, dogs that use the yard, so they want to be sure the treatment won't hurt them. What do you think? Yeah, so the, the Creeping Charlie is really difficult to control. There, is, there are some chemical options. I would look first at why the Creeping Charlie is there. Typically, it prefers uh, uh, darker or shaded environments that may or may not be more moist. So if you can, try to open up the trees uh, if you really want to have a, a good playing area for the dogs. Um, but but the, the active ingredient, the herbicide, the chemical that would, uh, is really the only one that will selectively control the ground ivy or the creeping charlie well is triclopyr. That's T-R-I-C-L-O-P-Y-R. Uh, triclopyr is the active ingredient, and it's the only one that will selectively control the uh, creeping charlie without hurting your lawn. Follow the label instructions. They have uh, instructions on the pesticide label that say uh, when you can re-enter, uh, and that includes for pests and things like that after treating. Uh, so there's instructions there. Is it also okay. uh, does does creeping charlie also grow in compacted soils too? Yes, it, it, it can grow in compacted soils. Uh, one of the issues with uh, with it is just that it's just such a vigorous right. grower. It can grow. And it's perennial. We, we we give cultural recommendations to say do this and uh, you know mm-hmm. avoid these situations, but it it can grow in a full sun south yeah. south facing slope uh, just as fine. But uh, but typically that's where we first find them, and that's why. They first become into an area, they first come into an area is because of the the environment. Right. Yeah. And creeping Charlie's a mint. It has a square stem, and so any little piece of that plant that's left in the ground, if you hand dig, uh, you got to really be diligent, really, really dig deeply to get those plants out, and be very careful to get every piece of the plant out. And then inevitably, you're not going to do it 100. percent So then you have to be diligent again to be in there hand digging again. And that that's that's for those who really have the time to do that. And and I want to make that effort. Okay. Uh, Lily is calling from Maplewood. I think will be our last caller this morning. Uh, let's get Lily's question answered. Go ahead, Lily. I'm calling about slugs. There was a fellow on your program this morning, and I didn't get the name of oh. the crop. What kind of earth was that? Oh, the, the di- it's called diatomaceous earth. And you can buy it, as he said. You can buy It's cheap, and uh, you can find it at garden centers. Yeah. Diatomaceous earth. We have a texter, a listener in Gilbert, Arizona, listening, saying they love the show. So oh, that, that, thank that's, you. That, thank you for oh, thank that. You, thank Let's you. see if we can't. Complete um, the survey. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Again, get on there. Let's mention that website again for those yeah, that missed so it. Our website at Extension, if you didn't get your question answered, you can uh, go to extension.umn.edu and visit our Yard and Garden page. And we have the Yard and Garden News, which is our biweekly would that be your bi-monthly? Anyway, twice a month it comes out. 
and it has current information about uh, situations that we're seeing in extension. And you can subscribe to that and get an alert. We also have a Facebook page as well for University of Minnesota uh, Yard and Garden. And the Yard and Garden, or the Turf blog too, right, John? Yeah, turf.umn.edu for more turf-specific questions for both uh, homeowners and professionals alike. That's great. And the survey link is Z, the letter Z as in zebra, dot U-M-N dot E-D-U slash smart garden. And you can uh, complete the survey and enter your name will be entered to uh, uh, receive one of Mary Meyer's books, uh, 10 Best Plants That, or 10 Plants That Changed Minnesota. Yeah, great book. Uh, John, here's a quick one for you. If somebody wants to use a low nitrogen lawn fertilizer, uh, should I use that at this time of year? Uh, a low nitrogen lawn fertilizer could technically be any lawn fertilizer. The The rate is what is the most important thing there. But um, as far as a, you could be applying a, a slow release uh, organic form of nitrogen uh, that uh, as a fertilizer source that would uh, be very safe to apply um, and would provide some extended release of that. Uh, but think in terms of why it is that you're doing that. Right now the plants are really starting to, or next week they're going to really start slowing down in growth once we start getting into those mid-80 temperatures and higher evening temperatures. So uh, they may not actually need that much fertilizer, or if you do give them fertilizer, you may actually be stressing them out and telling them to grow uh, when they're going to getting ready to go into a stressful time period. So keep that in mind as well. Well, we are just about out of time, and you mentioned the website, and it'll be interesting to hear some uh, survey results yeah. when you guys start uh, start collecting them. Yep. Uh, as we move uh, down the road here. God, eight eight years? Are you serious? Eight years. My goodness. I know. Go figure. And, and a good weekend. If you're not going to be heading out here to the Back to the 50s celebration, get to the Arboretum, right? Yes. Yeah, the Arboretum's gorgeous right now. It is fantastic. It's, it's great all year round. But oh, right now, you know, June... Yeah. Ooh, this is fantastic. <laughs> All right. We have to run. Thank you both, uh, John and Julie. It's it good Danny. to hear from you. Thanks yep, for your thank help. You. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.